welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Good morning. Good to uh, be able to be together this morning and uh, just to be able to worship the Lord. Um, be able to hear each other singing. That's been nice this morning. Uh, we're so spread out uh, uh, normally that uh, can't hear can't hear each other very well. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles this morning, we're in Ephesians chapter five, and we'll <clears throat> continuing in this uh, series uh, from this wonderful letter. And we're looking in chapter five, and we've been learning about uh, what Paul began in the beginning of this chapter. Imitating God. And this morning, the message is from verse 18, where he, t- he admonishes, Do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And so that's the, that's the topic this morning. Uh, the Spirit-filled living. Amen. And we're going to look at what that means. Uh, Spirit-filled living is central to everything that we do as believers, everything that we're um, supposed to be doing. And certainly, as Paul is admonishing here, being imitators of God, uh, this truth is central to uh, everything that he's been admonishing us in and uh, telling us that we should be doing. And as we've... uh, been a few weeks since we've looked at this uh, at this chapter. Just want to remind you, as he says in verse one, to be imitators of God. He he has three main things in mind, and he uh, lays those out with the metaphor of walking. And he said to walk in love in verse one and two. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then secondly, he said that we're to walk in the light. And from verse 3 through verse 14, we see this admonition. And he reminds us in this passage that uh, uh, there is the the danger of the immorality of the world and that uh, that life, style of the world has no place for the believer in the life of the believer. And he reminds us that we are light. Notice verse 7 and 8. He says, Therefore do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And if you remember those... Uh, we talked about two ways in which the, this metaphor of light was used in the Scriptures. First of all, to speak of truth. The truth of God's Word is revealed to us. Uh, the truth of who God is and what He's done for us. And then, secondly, holiness. Uh, being uh, separated from everything else unto the Lord. Separated from the world unto the Lord. And as children of God, we are called to um, live uh, for Him as, as uh, in holiness. That's what the idea of holiness means. 
is that we're set apart. We belong, we belong to Him. And so walk in the light. And then thirdly, from verse 15 down through verse 21, walking in wisdom. And we talked about how that, that this requires intentionality. It requires purpose. Notice verse 15. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And we looked at the contrast that he makes in verse 18 between the, the debauchery of the world and, and, and the pagan world in which they lived. They were well aware of the drunkenness and the debauchery and the false worship. Uh, he contrasts that with the spirit-filled life. He says, verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. I'm going to take time in, in a, the message to talk about uh, the use of alcohol and the danger of alcohol, um, but I believe in our day it is a real danger. Uh, and we see the problems of the misuse of alcohol, as he warns here about uh, being drunk with wine. Uh, but I, I do have a, an excerpt that I want to send out on the, um, uh, the prayer and information um, WhatsApp. And it's, it's going to come, I'm going to send it out as an attachment, because it's a fairly large, uh, it's, going to be, no, it's going to be a large document, but it's 13 pages. I was going to print it, but I thought, I don't want to print 13 pages. It's, it's an excerpt from John MacArthur's commentary on this section, and I, feel, I just feel like he does such a good job of giving a balanced uh, assessment of um, what the Bible's talking about and what was happening in the time of the Bible with wine in particular, and then also to help us as believers evaluate whether uh, and how wine should be part or alcohol should be part of our lives. And so I want to I send that out, so if you see that coming, um, you'll know what it's about. If you want to download it, it'll be just a, a PDF document, so it shouldn't be very large, and, um, and you can always print it if you don't want to read on your, on your phone or your, uh, your computer or whatever. And if, you don't have, if you're not part of the WhatsApp group, let me know, and I'll send you, I can send it to you by email or however. Uh, you need to get it, but I, f- I feel like that would be really good for all of us to um, to read and to just be aware of um, of the dangers and uh, to not uh, think that the wine that's spoken of in the scriptures is equal to the wine that, that's on our store shelves today, because it's not. Amen. It's not so. Um, so, so you just need to be aware of that and um, allow that to um, allow that to weigh upon this admonition that we have to to live spirit filled lives. Well, Paul is setting this contrast, and it's a stark contrast here in his mind uh, because he's talking about this life of debauchery that was so common in that day. And and in and in some circles we see it in our day. You don't have to go far to see lives that are ruined um, by alcohol, and alcohol becomes such a part of life that they can't enjoy life without it. 
And it's not just enjoying alcohol, it's, it's allowing alcohol to totally consume the person and, and to rule their life and, and ruin lives. And so that's what Paul is talking about. He's talking about this one, well, the one side here of the world and the, and the life that he had described earlier in this, um, in this passage with the, with the immorality and all of that. And he's setting over against that the, the Spirit-filled life of these believers and that they're to, to be having. And it's a fitting summary of this section where he's talking about imitating God, uh, walking in love, walking in light, and walking in wisdom. And the, and the Spirit of God is at the center of that. If that's true in your life, it's because the Spirit of God is making it so. And that, and that you are allowing the Spirit of God to so uh, impact your life and, and lead in your life that, that you are imitating God in these ways. Well, it is also a transition, this, uh, this command to be Spirit-filled. It's, it transitions to the next section that Paul's going to be dealing with as he, as he writes about our relationships, relationships within the family and in, in, in application to us in the workplace. Uh, and so this is going to be critical to what we study. And so I want to take time this morning to talk about what that means for us to be Spirit-filled. It's interesting, Paul doesn't explain that in the context. He just throws that command out there. He doesn't say what it is. We're going we're to look at uh, some characteristics that he gives of, of the Spirit-filled life in the verse 19 to 21. But we need to make sure that we understand what Paul means by being Spirit-filled. Evidently, Paul assumed that these believers knew exactly what he meant. Uh, because he just throws it out there as if they they didn't need any explanation, uh, and it seems that it's just as much as he expected them to know what a life of debauchery was. He he expected them to know what a life of being spirit filled was. But uh, there is a bit of confusion in our in our day about being filled with the spirit, and so I like to make sure we're all on the same page about what we mean by that statement. And probably the biggest uh, area that there, you'll find disagreement or, or differing ideas as it would uh, relate to this topic, and that is the confusion between being filled with Spirit and the baptism of the Spirit. And so we, th- we want to think first about what that means, being baptized of the Spirit or with the Spirit. Uh, is is talking about being placed in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ in the, in the Spirit of God. And that takes place at our salvation. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13 says, For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Uh, it's not just for some, mm-hmm. but for every believer. We're, we're immersed or baptized into this body of believers. Christ is the head, and we are placed in this body, in Him. He says, For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we're all made to drink of one Spirit. And so we're placed into this relationship with God. we brought into a relationship with the Spirit of God, with the Lord Jesus Christ, 
uh, when we put our faith and trust in Christ. And that's what this, uh, this word it means as it's used in relationship to the Spirit, being baptized in the Spirit or with the Spirit. We're placed into this uh, relationship with Him at our salvation. Uh, he also, in 1 Corinthians earlier in chapter 6, uh, emphasizes the fact that we're that the Spirit of God is is comes to dwell in our bodies. In uh, chapter six, verse eighteen and nineteen, he, he talks about the fact that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Spirit of God has come to make His abode with us, and that is true of every genuine believer. Um, Romans. Um, Eight says that if, if that's not true, if, if you don't have the Spirit, then you don't, you don't belong to God. You're not, a, you're not a child. We see also in this letter earlier, back in chapter 1, he talked about the seal of the Spirit. That is until the day of redemption. Notice back there, turn back to chapter 1 and uh, remind you of verse 13, 14. He says, in Him, speaking of Christ, in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed. In other words, when you were saved, when you come to faith in Christ, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So this baptism of the Spirit, the sealing of the Spirit, these are... These are works of God that takes place in the life of the believer at the moment of salvation. It's not something that we are, um, are commanded um, to do. We're never commanded to be baptized with the Spirit. We're never commanded to be, filled, uh, to, be, uh, um, to be sealed with the Spirit. But as we see in our, in our text this morning, we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. So, he's talking about something different. He's talking about something that is um, different from what happened at our salvation, where, where the, the Spirit of God came to make His abode in us, where God placed us into this relationship uh, with Him and with the Spirit. Uh, so, being Spirit-filled is is something else. We see it's a command, but it's also a, um, it's an ongoing command. It's, it's not something that happened, you know, 10 years ago and that's sorted out. No, it is a, it's an ongoing process uh, that we are to experience. It's also passive. This command is, is, a, is a passive imperative. In other words, it's, it's not something that... Um, uh, that, that we do, uh, but something is, that happens to us. We are filled. It's, it's passive in that sense. As it's referred to as the divine passive because it's God who's doing the, the work. He's doing the work of filling us. The Spirit of God uh, fills us in that sense. And so it's, um, it's the work of God, but... We have the command. So we must put ourselves in the place where God does what He wants to do in our life. And so it's interesting, isn't it? 
God has to do the work, but we're commanded to, uh, I'll say it this way, allow it to happen. God doesn't um, just automatically um, fill us with His Spirit. Well, we noted earlier about this, the intentionality and the, the purpose of walking in wisdom. And he, he makes this statement in the context of talking about this walk in wisdom as we walk with the Lord. It's the, it's the positive side of walking carefully. Be, be careful or watch out Amen. How, you, how you live your life. Walk in wisdom, he says. So the Spirit of God is with us. He dwells in us and He wants to guide us. He wants to empower us to live for Him. And in reality, it is impossible to live for God and to to live a life that honors Him without this working of the Spirit of God, this filling of the Spirit of God in our life. And so we are are totally uh, dependent upon Him and His working. In our lives day by day. If you look at the commands, even the commands in this section and the one that, to come, as it talks about the, the husband-wife relationship and, and all the other commands, the commands of unity that we, we looked at earlier in this section, you realize, who I, I can't do that. I can't live up to that standard. Uh, and, and it is true without... Without the Lord, in our own strength, we don't have the, the ability to do what God commands us to do. And, and that is why He's given us His Word. He's given us the Spirit of God to dwell in us. And He commands us to, to be filled with the Spirit, to be filled with the Word. Allow the Word of God and the Spirit of God to empower us, enable us to live for Him. And so it is a, is a day-by-day, moment-by-moment um, necessity in our Christian life to be Spirit-filled. John, in his Gospel, writes about this dependency upon God this way. In John 15, you'll know the passage where he talks about the, the vine and the branches. He says in verse 5, "...I am the vine, you are the branches." Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing, right? And there he's, he doesn't name the Spirit of God, but he's talking about the same thing. He's talking about this abiding relationship with the Lord, with the Spirit of God, allowing the Spirit of God to, uh, to live out through us, God's will, God's purpose for us. And so the Spirit of God, uh, He wants to do this work, but we must yield our wills to His and follow Him. Uh, Paul uses the language also in Galatians uh, chapter 5 of this walk. And there in verse 16, Galatians 5.16, he says, Walk by the Spirit. And then now in verse 25, we're told to keep in step with the Spirit. And he's, he's talking about the same thing. He's using different words, different language, different metaphors. But he's talking about this abiding, ongoing, yieldedness 
to the will of the Lord, submitting to Him with every part of our life. Well, some people may, may wonder, you know, what exactly does that mean to, to be filled with the Spirit? Or, or what does it mean to, to walk uh, by the Spirit? Specifically, what, what is he talking about? Uh, in, in MacArthur's uh, commentary, he, he, he really spells out uh, from other, other places in Scripture what he's talking about. And I thought, well, that pretty well sums it up. I, I just want to read it to you. This paragraph he has here about being filled with the Spirit. He says, It is a command for believers to live continually under the influence of the Spirit by letting the Word control them, pursuing pure lives, confessing all known sin, dying to self, surrendering to God's will, and depending on His power in all things. Being filled with the Spirit is living in the conscience, the conscious presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, letting His mind through the Word dominate everything that is thought and done. So he's really describing a total yieldedness to the Lord, isn't he? He's talking about every part of our life belongs to Him and is to be to be yielded up to Him. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his, uh, one of his commentaries, writes, this is a state or a condition in which we are to live always, permanently. Because Paul commands it, we are not to be passive as we wait for some experience. Rather, it is something that we must obey. The present tense of the verb indicates an ongoing condition so that the person may be characterized as full of the Holy Spirit. Well, often as you read the book of Acts, and you often see this statement, uh, so-and-so was full of the Spirit of God, and he did this or did that. And oftentimes they were miraculous things that God was doing in that time. And we get the idea that if I'm filled with Spirit, then I must be doing something you know, miraculous, I must be healing someone or I must be uh, preaching and, and, and so that, you know, thousands come to the Lord or, or I have, you know, something that's uh, not what I normally experience. Well, depending on what God wants to accomplish, it may be some miraculous, um, something that God wants to do in and through your life. And being filled with the Spirit may mean that you do something that is um, not normal for you. But for the majority of the time, being filled with the Spirit means doing the everyday, ordinary things that please the Lord. It's obeying Him, submitting to Him, uh, yielding to His mind, to His attitude that He has, it's what he's been describing here, this walk with him. And so as we think about being filled with the Spirit, don't, don't, don't allow yourself to think, well, that's not for me. That's for someone else. No, it's for all of us. The Spirit of God is in us, and He wants to, to guide us and direct us. He wants to have the full control of our life. 
I think the word field sometimes uh, leads people off on a tangent uh, because the word can be used to, to talk about something that you fill up, like a, like a glass being full of water. But that's not how Paul's using the word here to be filled with the Spirit. It's not that we can have more of the Spirit of God. He is a person. He's not something that can be divided up into portions that we can have one part now and another part later. Now, we have all of the Spirit of God dwelling within us, but we can't have more of His controlling influence in our life, can't we? Uh, someone has said He can have more of us. In other words, we can yield more control to Him by obeying Him. Submitting our will to His. And so this word of feel, this pleurui, is, is a word that's often used in, in, in another way uh, that we see in Scripture also uh, when it says, for example, be filled or, or so-and-so was filled with sorrow or they were filled with fear or anger. In other words, they were allowing those emotions to have this controlling influence, this dominating influence in their life uh, by these emotions. Someone filled with, with fear is, is gripped by that fear and they can't seem to, to operate uh, on other thoughts and things that are, are normally controlling in their life. Now fear is, is the dominating thing in their life. In that sense, it's a, it's a negative thing, isn't it? To, to, have, to be dominated by fear or anger or, or something like that. Uh, it's also used a negative way in Acts 5 and verse 3 with Ananias. You remember Ananias and Sapphira? How they were deceptive in how much they gave of property they sold. And Peter, in verse 3, asked Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart? In other words, uh, Ananias had allowed himself to come under the controlling influence of Satan so that he would uh, be deceptive about um, how much they had given. And this is what Paul means when he says, be filled with the Spirit. In other words, allow the Spirit of God to have complete control, complete influence in your life. Yield your will to His will. Keep Keep in step with Him. Follow Him. Well, in verse 19 to 21, the last part of this section, we, we see three results or characteristics of a person who's living a, a Spirit-filled life. Now, Paul could have mentioned uh, many things there that are true of someone who's Spirit-filled, but, but he, he lists five participles here in these verses. Um, they're... Uh, they're the, the things like addressing, singing, making melody. Um, going over to verse 20, giving thanks. And then verse 21, submitting. So there's five participles there that are um, linked to, the, to this, um, this command, this imperative. Uh, in verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. And so they, they're, they're characteristics that he, through the, the empowering of the Spirit of God, wrote about. 
that um, are true in our lives when the Spirit's in control, when we're filled with the Spirit. And, and, I can, and we can break them down really into three, three things here. So first of all, the char- characteristic of a Spirit-filled life is a singing heart. A singing heart. You may be surprised by that. <laughs> we may expect Paul to say something, you know, like, uh, you know, spirit-filled life is, has power to, to, to do this or to do that, and, and, that, and that's true. But he, he doesn't talk about the outward so much as what's, it's what's in the heart and is, flows out of the heart. Uh, notice, um, well, before we read verse 19, I want you to hear what 1 John chapter 1, and he speaks of the joy, the joy that we have in God. And that's what we mean, a singing heart. We're talking about joy. We're talking about the joy of the Lord Amen. that's in the inner man. That's what the heart means. It's our inner being, our innermost being. It's not our emotions necessarily. It affects our emotions, but it's more than emotions. It's our thinking. Uh, it is the inner, innermost person. The scripture talks about the inner man. Uh, there's joy there. Joy in the midst of um, everything that is going on, good and bad, and in between, there's joy. 1 John 1, verse 3 and 4 says, That which we have seen, he's talking about in Jesus, and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things that our joy may be complete. Complete joy. And that's, that's linked to fellowship with the Lord. Walking in fellowship with Him, and we were in fellowship with the Lord, and you're in fellowship with the Lord, and I'm in fellowship with the Lord, guess what? We have fellowship with one another, right? The Lord is what makes the difference. And so this, this inward joy of the Lord is manifest in song. We, we just sing. It's, the, it's normal for the believer in Christ to sing. We're not talking necessarily about singing well. <laughs> We're, not, <laughs> We're not talking about ability, uh, you know, or the ability to you know carry a tune even. But it's joy, and it doesn't make one bit of difference to the Lord. Amen. How well you sing. What makes the difference is where's that song coming from? Is it coming from the heart? Or is it just off the lips? Ephesians 5 verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. See, when the Lord saves us, He gives us, he gives us a new song. Now, the world has their songs. The songs of the world are usually a, a testimony to emptiness, to loss, to brokenness, to the sinfulness of the heart of man. 
But the Spirit-filled believer has a song in his heart of praise to God and thanksgiving to God because of what He has done for us, because of who He is. And we can't help it. Mm-hmm. It's something that is of the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. This is, a, this is a major characteristic of the church. When we come together, we sing together. We don't just listen to others sing, but we have a, a corporate singing. And again, it's, it's not just for those who are gifted to sing. No, we all, we all sing in worship of the Lord because He has redeemed us all. And He's given us all something to sing about. Amen? Amen. And uh, whether you can sing well or whether you can do much more than just humming, uh, the Lord receives it as worship if it's coming from the heart. Well, there's two things here we see in this um, admonition or this characteristic. It's, first of all, addressing one another. Uh, the word laleo is uh, is literally speaking, and in some translation, it says we we are speaking to to one another. Uh, you see, our song is directed to God, but we sing it among each other, and and it communicates to each other as we as we sing together, or even as someone sings as in a, a solo. We, the audience is not not the people, but God. But the people hear it and are blessed by it and are built up by it and encouraged by it. And so when we sing together, we are, we are singing encouragement and testimony to each other. Colossians 3, verse 16. And Colossians 3, by the, by the way, is a parallel to what Paul's teaching here. It's, it's much the exact same things said slightly differently, emphasizing one part or, or another differently. But um, verse 16, you'll, you'll hear the similarity. He says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your heart to God. Well, the major difference there in that verse is instead of saying be spirit-filled, he's saying be word-filled. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And these obviously go together. The Word of God and the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God in our lives. And the Spirit-filled life is one that has the Word of God as the dominating influence in their life. But he says here, teaching and admonishing one another. And he's talking about in song. And so we see that the teaching and the singing are not unrelated activities. There's preaching and teaching, they're not like, you know, separate things. They're both communicating the Word of God. They're both admonishing in the Word of God. And so through our singing, we, we do encourage one another in the Word. We admonish one another in the Word. And he uses uh, three words here, psalms, 
hymns and spiritual songs. And it really speaks to the variety of what we sing, but it's all with this focus of communicating the truth of God's Word. The Psalms um, is a word that was used to speak of the Old Testament Psalms. And um, we, we have you know, historical evidence that they, even the New Testament, comp, New Testament compositions or, or melodies that were, were, were sung from the hymns were referred to as psalms, but they're also referred to as hymns sometimes. But evidently hymns was more the, the New Testament compositions of, uh, from truths even, even recorded in Scripture. Um, so we're not, we're not exactly sure how strong you really can't make a, a definite you know, break between these three. Spiritual songs were evidently uh, referring to the, the testimony, songs of testimony to the Lord in, in general. But I think the, the important thing is to realize that in all of these, we are to speak the truth of God's Word to one another. It's, it's, about, it's about Him. It's about His Word. It's about the truth of His Word that we're to sing because that is what has changed us. That is what God has done for us. And He's put that in our hearts and we sing it back to Him. And in doing so, we, we encourage one another. Well, secondly, he says singing and making melody to the Lord. Those are, those are two, um, uh, two of those um, um, participles not part, that of the five. And they're both related to the Psalms. Um, the word psalm or psalms. And so whether this, some take making melody to... to talk about instruments, but it's, it's really um, still talking about the same truth of, uh, of singing to the Lord um, with, our, with our voices, and um, obviously accompanied by, by, by instruments in the, in the Old Testament, the, the, the uh, psalm is, is um, linked to the word of a stringed instrument like a harp. And uh, so, um, it's all it's all together used to praise the Lord. When the Lord changes our hearts, He He fills it with the knowledge of Himself, and He's done that in all of us. And so, we have this song of praise in our heart, unless. We've allowed our hearts to be filled up with so many other things, so, so much of the world, that we lose sight of the joy that we have in Christ. We, we lose sight of the song that he, that he wants to put in our hearts. And so we're, we're admonished to walk with Him, walk with Him in His Word and in prayer, and allow Him to put His joy in our hearts. You see, when we are Spirit-filled, we're not thinking about our own praise. We're not thinking about our own honor. We're thinking of Him and what He has done for us. 
We're not just mouthing words. We're not just going through the motions with our singing. But our singing is something that comes from within. Within the knowledge of who He is and what He's done for us. Psalm 149, verse 1 says, Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. From the time I was very young, uh, I enjoyed the singing in the, in the church. Grew up going to church and being part of the church. And although we had a very, very small church, uh, songs were a big part. And we sang the hymns primarily. And uh, I even, I even uh, tried to help in the choir. And I'm sure I was more hindrance than help. But, uh, but, I, but I enjoyed singing. Uh, but when I went to, uh, went to university um, and was part of, we had the Highland Park Baptist Church in Tennessee was the, you could say, the host church for this uh, Christian university. And when school was in, there was about 3,000 students, you know, and uh, this big auditorium. And you get 3,000 plus people in an auditorium singing hymns now that's a that's an experience and and I'm not sure not not everyone was obviously not everyone would have been singing from their heart but uh, there was an atmosphere there of 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 singing with full voice i mean even if you couldn't sing well it was there were so many people singing you, you no one could hear if you were singing well or not so you could just sing full full out you know and not have to worry about it offending somebody else or putting someone else off with their notes. Uh, it was a joyous time. And Dr. Faulkner was the song director and he'd sing, he would lead with both hands and he would be waving those arms and sometimes you'd feel like he would just go flying up to heaven. He was so excited about uh, uh, the songs that they were singing. Singing to the Lord. Has the Lord put that joy in your heart? Are you allowing Him to, to lead your life? Uh, with a song in your heart. Well, secondly, he, he talks about the characteristic of a thankful heart. Verse 20, giving thanks always for everything to God and uh, the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks always and for every... That's pretty inclusive, isn't it? <laughs> he doesn't leave anything out. Giving thanks always for everything. Well, it doesn't mean that we're thankful for everything necessarily because there's a lot of things that are bad, a lot of things that are negative. But we can be thankful that even in those things, we know He's in control. And that He's working for the good of them that love Him. Well, part of the, the motivation for singing is thanksgiving. Many of our songs are related to thanksgiving unto God for what He has done for us. And we consider all that He is as God and Father and Spirit and all that He's done for us, we, we are thankful. Peter O'Brien, in his letter to the Ephesians, writes, Thanksgiving is almost a synonym for the Christian life. It is the response of gratitude to God, saving activity and creation and redemption and thus, a recognition that He is the ultimate source of every blessing. Well, although singing is, is a, 
is often given in thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is primarily a function of prayer. In our prayers, uh, we should be thankful. It should, it should be a major part of our praying. No matter, no matter what we're praying about, no matter if we come with a request, there, there should be this, this attitude of thanksgiving that accompanies even our request before God. Thanksgiving. Uh, William Hendrickson emphasizes the, the importance of thanksgiving when he writes, when a person prays without thanksgiving, he's clipped the wings of prayer so that it cannot rise. It's a good, uh, it's a good thought, isn't it? A good metaphor, putting our minds about prayer, not being able to rise because we've cut the wings off because we're not thankful. Well, there's one author writes about this three levels of thanksgiving, and I think it's uh, it's, it's very true. He says, first of all. Uh, in the you would call it the bottom rung of thanksgiving is when we're thankful for for our blessings. So when God has answered prayer, we we we've, we've got you know what we what we need or what we want, and we just sense you know God's uh, blessing in our life. We, it's easy to be thankful, isn't it? A second level of of thanksgiving is anticipation of what God's going to do. In other words, we believe His promise about what's going to happen in the future, even though we can't see it, we can be thankful in anticipation of God fulfilling His promises. That's, a, that's another level, isn't it? It requires some faith to believe it by faith, to see it by faith. And then thirdly, to be thankful even in the midst of pain and trials and various troubles that we face on a regular basis. And sometimes... Um, uh, we see individuals that are that are going through deep waters, and even in the midst of those waters, the Spirit of God enables us to be thankful. Amen. Thankful for what we have, for what God has done for us, for who He is. There's it's just as easy as it is to find something to to be unhappy about, to to complain about. If we allow the Spirit of God to to control us, we can find things to be thankful and to praise God for. And to trust Him, even in even when we can't see what He's doing, we don't know why. We can be thankful. You see, a lack of thanks, uh, thankfulness comes from a heart of pride. We we in pride think that we deserve something better than what we we have. Pride tries to convince us that our job, our health, our spouse, or whatever it is, is not as good as what we deserve. So we must acknowledge pride for what it is, confess it, turn from it, and allow the Lord to give us a thankful heart. Before I move on, I want you to see the Trinitarian focus here in this statement. We're to be filled with the Holy Spirit, giving thanks to the Father on the basis of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us and for who He is. Thankful heart. Well, thirdly and lastly... In closing, he says in verse 21 that it's characteristic of a, a submissive heart. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this statement brings us to the close of this section, but it, it also serves as a transition to the next section because, as we'll see, it's critical to 
our relationships. The submissive heart. Submissive to each other. And he begins broadly by talking about one another in the family of Christ, the body, the body of believers. He says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then, then as we'll see, he, he focuses down on the family, our relationships. And so, this submission, this humility is, is with an eye on Christ. We learn from Him how to be humble. We're to look to Him out of, out of reverence for Him. We submit to one another. We, we humble ourselves, not because the person is deserving necessarily, or because they they've done something that that that, that you know warrants our um, reaction. In a no, we are to submit to one another because of Christ, Amen. because we belong to Him. And so, there's no place there's no place for pride as a believer in Christ. There's no place for selfish ambition and. Let me just read you Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4. And you'll remember this passage. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And so we must recognize pride is our enemy. Mm-hmm. It's an enemy that just keeps coming back. Just keeps coming back. One day we can... We can feel like we've, we've conquered that enemy, but the next day I'll be right back. I'll be right back. And so we must be committed to a day by day, even a moment by moment, yieldedness to the Spirit of God that He might put within us this submissive heart. Are you walking by the Spirit? Keeping in step with Him? Are you allowing Him to fill you with his controlling influence in your life as he, as he desires to do. And so I call upon all of us to, to examine the heart. Examine the heart, first of all, to make sure that you are in a relationship with the Lord, that you are saved, that you do belong to Him. And then secondly, if that's true, examine your heart to see if you have a, a singing heart. A thankful heart and a submissive heart. You see, this is the work of God and it is wonderful in our eyes, isn't it? We see how the Lord takes someone that's full of pride in self and transforms them into someone who, who loves the Lord and has the joy of the Lord and is thankful and is submissive. That is God's doing. And we can rejoice in His grace. Let's pray together. Thank You, Father, for Your Spirit that You put within us. Lord, make us aware of what You want to do in our lives. Help us day by day and even moment by moment through our days to be yielded to You, to be aware of what You want to accomplish. Lord, maybe maybe live in dependence upon You filled with the Spirit of God. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.